0: Good morning again. I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church and um, so great to see you all again at our first nine o'clock service, our first service of the new year. And um, Pastor Kyle, as we were um, preparing uh, for this new year and and all that we have uh, going on and uh, just the life of our church. Um, you can imagine that uh, um, it, there's, there's a, a lot of the 2020 that I, I think we're all in agreement. We're ready to say goodbye to. We're ready to, to move on from. And uh, Pastor Kyle, who usually does that welcome time and greets us and enters us into worship, um, he had a very interesting close to his year. And I think it's just fitting um, as a, a, a good teaching and metaphor. I think he would agree with this. But he had a surgery at, on, on New Year's Eve. Um, that surgery was scheduled three other times before New Year's Eve. And, uh, and so it uh, kept getting moved around, and, and various things came up, one with the hospital and another with some other. Uh, the doctor actually got sick that was going to perform his surgery. I'm not violating any HIPAA laws, by the way. He knows that I can talk about this. Um, so, uh, But he... Uh, um, he ended up not having the surgery until New Year's Eve, and um, he, uh, he texted us last night that he was still dealing with some, um, some pain associated with that and um, needed to be out this morning. Um, but he, w- he, he said, he said, I'm really grateful that I did this t- on New Year's Eve and not on Christmas Eve when he had originally, or the week of Christmas when he had originally, because he would have had a lot more to deal with around Christmas. And so in that, even that, we saw the Lord's providence and uh, a lot of frustration. And you should know if you know Pastor Kyle a little bit. When things don't go according to his schedule, that's a frustration point for him. And I I think as we look back on 2020, we could all say that there were many things that did not go according to our plans or our schedules or what we would have hoped. And yet the Lord was good. And and so his story of his surgery is just another metaphor or reminder of the Lord's goodness, even when things don't go the way that we would think they would. And in frustration, um, he is kind. And, um, and so Pastor Kyle is resting this morning. Um, and this is thankfully a week where he can rest without a lot of interruption, whereas getting ready for Christmas Eve would have been a hard week without him around. And so um, we are this morning, as uh, uh, Pat read for us, going to open up Philippians chapter 2. And if you're a guest with us or if you've even been with us for a little while Um, You know that it's our practice, um, uh, that we work our way through books of the Bible or uh, portions of Scripture. And we've been working our way through, uh, since the fall, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And we um, wrapped up a a portion of that, the first sort of two sections of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, um, just before Christmas Eve. Um, and as we are closing out the year and just reflecting on 2020, um, there's just this, the Lord just kind of kept bringing about, you may even remember, if you go back and listen to our sermons from the previous few weeks, the last few weeks, uh, this text from Philippians chapter 2, I kept referencing, and it was coming up as I was looking at the Beatitudes from early in chapter 5, and and then all that we are called to be as salt and light, and this word humility just kept kind of being pressed upon me and a a call to live as humble people. And so I felt as we began this new year that we would take a one week break from our Sermon on the Mount teaching and really try and understand what it is that we are called to be as we strive to live as salt and light. How do we do that in the world today? Because we're all very aware that this world is really challenging right now. We have faced so many unprecedented circumstances, from a pandemic to political strife to all that 2020 had for challenges of our nation and even in our own local community. There were so many things. How do we navigate that well? How can we live as Christ followers? And I believe that the thing that has been missing and the thing that I would pray that we would be able to sort of anchor ourselves to as a church and um, live with is this call to humility. As I thought about 2020, one of the most devastating things to me was how quickly we succumb to fighting to anger over what we want to be. And what we desire to see happen. What we think of as right. How quickly we were ready to go to war with somebody over what we thought was the right way to handle whatever the myriad of situations were that we faced. And if we, there was anyone that viewed the world as different from us, saw things differently than we saw them, it was, we saw them as evil and we felt it was our job to go on the offensive and attack when the challenges of this year began, I remember early in March and the pandemic is first starting to come about how so many of us were eager to receive from the Lord. We thought, okay, God is teaching us something in here. What is he teaching us? This was a Christian or a common Christian response is to sort of ask ourselves, what are what's happening here? What is God doing and we looked at even how God was blessing us. Do you remember those days when you rejoiced that your family all was home together and went on a bike ride in the evening? Do you remember that? And by the end of this, we're, we've forgotten it all. We, we saw the goodness of what God was doing and we thought, let's hold on to these things. But really, as I reflect on the entirety of that year, that really only lasted for a moment before our sinfulness Our desire to have our way, our desire to be right, started to take over again. We wanted to be in control. And one of the things that 2020 taught us all was that we are not in control. But rather than just see that as a problem, it's something that I feel compelled to do. And I think we should all consider is to ask why. Why are we so quick to fight? Why are we so concerned over getting our way? We see that from youth, in our children, all the way to our own, wherever we are in life. Why? Why are we, we, we so quick to forget our call to love our neighbor and to consider others greater than ourselves when they don't think like us, when they don't look like us? We should ask that question. And the root of this issue, the root of the answer to those questions, is pride. Our pride is killing us and is leading us to lose our witness, to lose that calling to be salt and light in the world. Now, 2020, I don't want to diminish in any sense of the word that it was challenging or painful or frustrating Or there's so many things that were wrong about the year that we would say, Oh, I'm just so glad as we did. I don't know about you, my wife. I, I sort of teased her about this, and you may have heard this, but she never makes it to midnight at the end of the year. We, we always celebrate at, at a minimum with New York, and very often we find some other foreign nation to celebrate You know, with Australia or somebody else. We're waking up at 9 a.m. Okay, the New Year's here. We've done our thing. Let's go to bed. That's how we operate usually in our home. But my wife was adamant. She was making it to midnight this year because she was going to officially celebrate the end of 2020. That's how bad things were. If you know my wife, she loves to sleep. She loves to go to bed early. So making it to midnight is, is, is a real stretch. But why were we so quick to do that? Why, why? Those things are real, and so we don't have to diminish that. But as Christians... If we know the truth that our circumstances do not change our reality, our circumstances should not change, our joy should not change the way we interact in the world. Why were we so quick to lose hope in the midst of a year that brought so many challenges? And by the way, I know I'm addressing sort of the global, political, the cultural things. And you might be thinking to yourself as you think of those struggles of pandemics and masks and politics and all that, that you didn't really get bothered by that. Perhaps you were too consumed with what was going on in your own life. What, even those things? Why? Let's take it even narrower. Why, when we don't get invited to that party, do we get so hurt? Why, when the beautiful picture that you framed so perfectly and applied the exact filter that needed to be applied, doesn't get the number of likes that you thought it would, do you get hurt? Why, when that boy or that girl doesn't notice you, do you get hurt? Why, when that promotion passes you over, do you get so hurt? Why, when your kid doesn't get what he believes or you believe for him or her, they should get, you get hurt? When the grade that teacher gave your baby, he didn't earn it, that teacher gave it to him. Why do you get so hurt? The praise that you thought you'd surely get for the hard work you put in goes completely unnoticed. The appreciation that you thought you should receive is not given. Why do we get so hurt by all of these things? So from a global down to the daily interactions of our lives, all of these things remind us of one thing. We've got a lot of ways to get our feelings hurt. We've got a lot of things that we think about ourselves. And this is why pride is so dangerous. Why pride creeps in and is such a, a, a big part of our sin nature. Because we will either get hurt too easily, very quickly, or we will do whatever it takes to ensure we don't get hurt. We will navigate and arrange our lives in such a way that we try to prevent ever dealing with. Feelings that are hurt, an ego that is crushed. So, what do we do? How do we live? Well, this is what the Lord has been teaching, as I said, me over the last few months. As Christians, we are the ones who are supposed to be different. I'm speaking to those of you who have put your trust in faith in Jesus Christ, the Jesus that we celebrated his arrival at Christmas, the Jesus that we just heard scripture testify to is the Lord of all life. And one day, every knee will bow at his name. We have put our faith in him. Our lives should look differently. And as we've worked through the Sermon on the Mount, we saw how Jesus established that. He says, I am going to, uh, to bless you, even though the world doesn't bless you, and even though the world does all all of these things against you. Let me show you how I've established you differently. I have set you apart to create a new kingdom of people, people that would identify, be identified by my name. And Jesus has taught us that we are to live differently, to be radically different than the world that we live in. We are people who've been changed and set free from the burden that pride puts upon us. And as we've been freed from that burden, that's what allows us to be salt and light in a dark and dying world. One of my favorite books on this subject is called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's written by Tim Keller. By the way, if you have Prime, you can get it for $4.99. I'll have a few copies next week in the cafe. If you'd like to have some, you can pick those up. But he asked this question in the introduction to this book. He says, what are the marks of a heart that has been radically changed by the grace of God? What are the marks of a heart that has been radically changed by the grace of God? If we trust in Christ, he asks, what should our hearts be like? What should we be identified by? And too many of us so often in the Christian world and realm, we would answer that question with statements of moral standing about good behavior. And yes, James makes very clear that we are transformed and saved to good works, and so morals follow us as we are transformed. But that isn't the first answer. The first answer to the question isn't the things that we do. But so many of us have been led to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that saves us to some sort of performance, to do certain things. We've once again found our way. Pride has crept in even to manipulate and take the gospel message, and we make it about ourselves. In our culture here in the Bible Belt of America, many of us were raised knowing that if we went to church, we'd be accepted. And if we didn't, we'd be looked down upon. We've been raised to think if we want our kids to be good and acceptable, which who doesn't want their children to be good and acceptable, then we don't really know how to do that. We've just sort of accepted that part. We're train wrecks on the parenting front. And so we'll just bring them to church and the pastor will show them how to be good and acceptable people. Worked for us. Our grandmas did that for us. So why won't we just keep doing that with our kids? Church people, we think they're really nice. And so... I don't really find friends out here in the world. So if I go to church, that's where I can find someone to be my friend because I am thinking of myself. I want to be accepted by someone. And I've heard that God won't reject us. God's a God of love. And so if I go to the church, then I know I'll find people that accept me. I'll try to do that. I'll try this out. Do you see how all of those statements that some of us and in some ways have crept in are sort of the culture of the church? are all rooted in self-protection, pride, finding our way, finding what we want. This is what it's meant too long to be a Christian here in this culture. But this isn't what Jesus saved us to. We have believed in Jesus. And if we believe, there's something different. Because Jesus didn't come to create moral people. Do you know there were much more moral people? There were plenty of moral people roaming the earth when Jesus arrived. They were called Pharisees. They obeyed the law. They did everything that God would instruct them to do. They created new laws to be even moral, more moral people. But Jesus didn't, He didn't need to come to just create moral people because they already existed. He came to transform hearts. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ does so much more than all of those other things that I just referenced. Those are good, sometimes good gifts of the church. Good gifts from the Lord. But the gospel does so much more than that. This is why God put it on my heart to bring this message. I've never in the past ever chosen a word of the year. I know a lot of you have done that before, and you kind of put it on your wall or wherever, and it's sort of a a driving force, a motivator for you or something like that. It's kind of maybe connected to a number of resolutions. I've never done that before. But this year, it just seemed over and over and over again, God was saying, be humble, humility, humbleness, live with meekness, as the Beatitudes say. This is what God kept impressing upon my heart. And so... That is my word for the year, humility. And that's my desire for our church, that we would be a church, a people of God, who, when we answer that question, what are the marks of a heart that has been radically changed by the grace of God? We would say a heart that is humble, a heart with humility. C.S. Lewis famously said that humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. This is what it means to be a humble people. This is what, as Keller would describe in his book, is called gospel humility. And so, how do we live this out? Where can we look in Scripture? Well, there are many places. I read from Isaiah 55, talking about the bigness of God, that His ways are higher than our ways, which tells us of the lowness that we should possess, or sort of humility that we should have before God. Pastor Jace, last week, as he came and uh, delivered a sermon for our church, talking about the Magi, the wise men that came to Jesus after his birth. They came, and what were they? They were the wisest men on the earth. They were the knowledgeable men. They were the powerful men. They were the wealthy men. And what did they do when they came face-to-face with God? Not a God that they had heard about because of the prophets, because they were raised as Israelites or any of those things. They came face-to-face with God, and they got on their knees. They got low before God. This is humility. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul t- teaching the Philippian church about what they have received in Christ. He reflects on the humility of Christ. And as we often say in our church, we are striving to do everything that we can do to live as the New Testament would call us to live. Following Christ's plan for the church. And so if we're going to live with humility, if we're going to be able to let go of the pride which plagues us, I think we can look to Christ. We can look to him as our example. And so in Philippians chapter 2, as Pat read for us, he begins this way. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In those first two verses, Paul is describing what we have received from Christ. He's saying that we have been encouraged in Christ. We've been encouraged in the plight of our life, in the struggle of our life, as things are challenging and we face the brokenness of this world. If we've received Christ, then we have received encouragement from him. And we're encouraged in the fact that he is the author of all life, that all things are created for him and by him, through him. And that ultimately, our lives are his. And so we can be encouraged. He says, continues, That we've been comforted from love. As we've received Christ, Christ's love towards us, for us, should be a comfort to us. And as the church, we have received the love of Christ. Any participation in the Spirit. He says, I've sent, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, sent himself, his Spirit to dwell with us. To be a part of us, to to create union with Christ in such a way that we know what to do. We have His direction and His Spirit guiding us. We have His presence with us. This is the participation of the Spirit. We are living lives engaged with the Holy Spirit of God. Any affection and sympathy as we look to others, as we have received encouragement and love from Christ and are guided by the Holy Spirit... Now the church has become a place where we show affection for one another and we have sympathy towards one another. By the way, if you've heard me reference this before, if you're a guest, you're just going to need to get used to this language. I call us the family of God. This is my faith family. We are a family because there is affection and there's unity as a family of God. And this is what Christ does. This is what he has brought about. And so he says that you have this encouragement from Christ, you have love from Christ, you have the Spirit of God dwelling with you, guiding you, you're participating in the work, and that's caused you to have affection and sympathy towards others. Then he says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So these are all the things that we've received from Christ. And then he says that we are to then, being unified, show love, be in full accord and one mind, have unity in all of these things. This is what... Christ has delivered us into. Do you notice in all of those things, yes, we have received from Christ, but everything, every word that he uses there to describe how we interact with one another, affection, sympathy, love, it's others focused. It's looking at others ahead of ourselves. But what are we so tempted to do so quickly? I want to get mine. I want to have my way. I want to do it my way. And that's not what we ever received from Christ. So he continues as he describes what we have received from Christ, how Christ lived. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do you know where humility starts? Humility starts... With a right understanding of yourself. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition. But consider others greater than yourself. And see the only way that we can truly do that. The only way we can look around the room. And we can consider everyone that we see greater than ourselves. Is we, when we understand our lowness. The humility that we should have before God. Because God is supreme over us all. And so I, if I only look on a horizontal plane level, I can say, well, I think I've got this going over this person. Or I, I'm a little better than she is over here. I got, you know, he kind of, he really screwed that deal up. So I think I'm good over here on this front. And we start start sort of measuring ourselves against all of our human relationships. But it's only when we understand that the unity that we have is that we are humbled before almighty God, that none of us measure up to God, that we are below him. Then we can say, and we can look at others, and we can say, I count everyone more significantly than myself. That's an attitude and an action that results from a right understanding of where we sit below God. And when we've received from Christ, when we understand that Christ came and he encouraged us and loved us and sent his spirit to dwell with us and was affectionate towards us and sympathetic towards us, then we can live that out because we understand who we are before God. It's only a misunderstanding of your own righteousness that would cause you to look down upon someone else, that would cause you to say, I'm better than you, because you think that you've got something figured out. You've got something going on better in your life. It's a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty in blessing you that you would consider the blessings and the giftedness that God has given you to make you more important or more valuable than other people. If I just think of it in this way, if I held two rocks in my hand and one is giant and one were small, what would the creator say about them? What would we say about them? They're both rocks. Who cares that one is big and one is small? Now you might argue, well, the big one can smash the small one. I would argue I can throw the small one faster. Which makes them better. They're both rocks under the creator of God. We might be different in gifting, in personality, in all of these things. But we are all humbled before God when we acknowledge, when we realize our sinfulness. That we all fall short of God's glory. See, we can only consider others greater than ourselves when we see them as co-laborers, as people that we have the same mind with, that we have the same love with, that we are in full accord, in unity with. Not because we are the same, but because we all worship and we serve, we have been redeemed by the same Savior, the same God. This is how Humility begins, how it starts. Humility continues as we look to Christ. He says in verse 4, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And he comes back to this idea of what our minds should be like. Have this mind... Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others, having this mind among your, excuse me, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The only way that we can look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others, is as if we have that mind of Christ, as if we think and see people through the lens of Christ. Humility is the result First, of course, of right understanding of yourself and where you sit before God. It also is the result of looking through the lens of Christ. So often when I do marriage counseling, I sit and I talk with a couple and I explain to them that conflict is going to be a natural part of being married. I don't know if you've ever experienced that as married people before, but we have in our home. And so there's conflict that sometimes results in married life. Young people, you should just know that that's going to happen periodically in your life. You're going to have conflict with your spouse. And you may have seen that mom and dad sometimes argue with one another and there's conflict. And so the counsel that I talk about a lot often in those moments of conflict, there's a lot of things that we can do to resolve conflict and to help us in conflict. But what I say so often is this is my remedy. This is the only way that I have found it to be successful to love Laurel the way that I've been called to love her. Because my pride is big, folks. I am the chief among sinners, as Paul would say in this front. But I have to look at her. And I see Jesus standing in front of her. And I look at my wife through the lens of Christ. And so whatever I say to her, I'm saying to Jesus. And Jesus says, son, you better lay down your life for that girl. You better not talk to her that way. You better not consider her in that way. You should consider her as I've considered you. What did I do for you? You were an idiot and I laid down my life for you. You get to work. That's what he says to me. As I look at my wife through the lens of Christ. And this is how we are all to live with one another. This is the only way that we can consider others greater than ourselves, that we can look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others, is that as we look at one another, and we look especially not just at one another within the church, but we look at those outside of the church, those who live their lives differently than we do, look at those that we find and we think they must be doing things completely wrong, all of the evil that exists out there, we look at them and we look at them through the lens of Christ. And Jesus says, I came and lived so that they might be redeemed, so that their sins might be forgiven, so that they might have hope and they might have joy. And so the only way that I'm going to have that interaction, I'm going to consider them in that way that I'm going to look towards their interests first is if I'm looking at them through the lens of Christ. If I'm looking at them through the lens of how do I bring the gospel to bear in their life? I see the brokenness. I see the pain. I see the sinfulness that exists in that friend or that whoever it might be. How do I bring the gospel to bear? Not how do I come to condemn them? Not how do I come and lord my holiness and my righteousness over them? But how do I get low and show them my humility before God because of what he has done for me? I look at them through the lens of Jesus. This is how we can look at people and we can live with humility with those that we are around. And this is something that we've completely forgotten. We look at people who are different than us, who see the world differently than us, have different value systems than we do, and we think that our remedy is to come to them with condemnation and to tell them to get right. When did Jesus do that to you, friend? When did Jesus come to you and tell you to get right? He didn't. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that I came and I deliver you from the darkness into light through my work on the cross. That's what Jesus said. What I accomplished for you on your behalf. And I called you to believe. And when you put your faith in me, your eternity was transformed. You were adopted as a son or a daughter of God. This is what Jesus did. Humility is a result of looking at others through the lens of Christ. So Jesus, the mind that we are to possess as we consider others, is the mind of Christ. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being born found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, this is the solution. It's this gospel This work of Christ that we testify to and that we live our lives to. This is the mind that we have. That Jesus, Jesus says, Paul says of Christ, he did not think of God or being being God as a thing to be grasped. He did not count this equality with God as something he had to hold on to. Do you want to know where pride so, so often finds its roots in our lives? It's in our grip on something. Our grip on wanting to be this, wanting to achieve this, wanting this accolade, wanting to be recognized, wanting something. That's where pride starts and where it manifests itself so often in our lives. Jesus himself, he was God, but he did not count equality with God as something to hold on to. He was willing to lay down his identity as God to become man. He was fully God and fully man, but he laid down... In humility to become like us, taking on the form of a servant. We just celebrated Christmas and we talked about Jesus being born as a baby. How radical is it that God himself would come and not just be like us, but take on the form of a baby, a humble servant that required the care of a human mother and father and protection and all of those things. This is how Jesus came to us. He did not count these things as something to hold on to. And so if we think about what Christ did, his mind, when Paul instructs us to have this mind amongst ourselves, is to think of ourselves as Christ did, as servants. And to look to him as our example. He came and he was like us. He was God and he took on flesh to become man. And then he laid down his life for you and for me. If you don't know the hope of Christ, if everything I've talked about so far has made no sense to you as I talk about humility and getting low before God, let me tell you where it began in my life and where it has to begin in each of our lives is understanding what Jesus has done. His work on the cross. He laid down his life. Gave his life, says that he was humbled, he was obedient to God the Father, obedient to God the Father, to the point of death, even death on a cross. He knew he was God. He didn't have to convince himself that he was God. He didn't have to tell the world that he was God. His life told of that. And when he spoke of it, everyone looked around and called him a heretic. But that's not what he came for. He came to serve, to give his life, as it says, as a ransom for us. And so often, we try and live our entire lives trying to convince ourselves or convince others that we are acceptable. That's where pride begins. Accept me. Love me. I'll do anything that I can to convince you of that. But Jesus didn't do that, and he freed us from the need to do that. Even though he was God, he laid down his life. So, friend, you do not have to prove yourself right. You don't have to justify yourself. When you put your faith in Christ in that finished work on the cross, you are justified by God himself once and for all. And when you are justified through your faith in Christ, your eternity is secure. And now the circumstances of this life, we could have, I don't want it, but we could have 20 more 2020s and our circumstances will not be changed because of Christ, because of what he has secured for us. When you put your faith in Christ and what he has done, you are justified. You are adopted as a son or a daughter of God. So we don't have to walk around and live this life trying to prove ourselves to the world. We can live considering others greater than ourselves. We can live looking to the interests of others over the interests of ourselves. We can do all of these things because I stand firmly and securely as a son of God through the work of Christ. This is what he has done for us. This is what he's delivered us into. And so now we can go into the world and we can live with humility and care for others. Now you're asking yourself, what does that look like? Ultimately, as I close, humility, what it finally does is it leads to the glory of God. Look at what it did as we just acknowledged with Christ. Therefore, in verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus And the Sermon on the Mount says that we are called to be salt and light. And that salt and light, we are called to that so that we might bring glory to God the Father. And as we live considering others greater than ourselves, as we live looking to the interests of others over ourselves, as we live with that humility, we're going to bring glory to God. Now, how do you do that? I want to just give you some practical steps. Consider others greater than yourself. Think of yourself yourself. Less. Don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less, as C.S. Lewis said. And that begins with, have you ever just been in a conversation with someone and you just thought, man, all they cared about was talking about me? Like, I couldn't get anything about them in there. They just wanted to, to understand my life. They wanted to understand my story. They wanted to know my background. You know what happens in those conversations? Walls come down. People understand you sincerely care for them. That's a display of humility, thinking of yourself less, not trying to get your own way. Considering the interests of others, how do we look to our neighbors? Do you know the interests of your neighbors? I don't mean hobbies, but do you know the things that worry them? Do you know the things that they care about? Do you know the, the fears and the anxieties that they have? Especially those who don't claim to be Christians. Especially those who you've sensed that they're finding hope and joy perhaps in some other place in life. Do you know those things? I want to encourage us all as people who are living out the humility of Christ to go and seek that out. To understand those fears, because only when we understand the fears and the anxieties and the frustrations and the pain of our friends and our neighbors, can we apply the gospel balm to those hurts? Can we give healing as Jesus allows us to come into their lives and care for them and lift them up? How can you tell your neighbor Jesus cares for you if you don't understand why they don't really believe that yet? Why they don't really think that is true? Why, they're concerned that maybe he doesn't. But looking to the interests of others, there's one interest that matters most, friends. It's our eternal interests. It's your friends and neighbors' eternal interests. Consider those things and pursue others rather than anchoring your lives to your own calendar, your own ways, your own desires. Go after just as Jesus came for us. So... Let us do that. Let us be a people, I pray, who live with the humility of Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Let City Church be of one mind, Lord. A mind that is yours, a mind of humility. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? Would you equip us and help us to consider others greater than ourselves? For some of us, that means we first need to get low before you, God, and just remember or perhaps believe for the first time what you have done, what you accomplished, Lord Jesus, on the cross. Help us to believe, and from that belief, would you help us to consider others greater than ourselves, to look to the interests of others? And would you, as we live this out, this calling on our lives, Lord, help us to see you at work. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As we close our time together, I want to just leave you with two announcements for the upcoming uh, couple of weeks. First of all, uh, our Disciple Now weekend, which if you don't know what that is, that is a weekend uh, for students um, where we gather a lot of students from our community together and uh, just have a weekend of discipleship and encouragement and um, a lot of fun. And so we need some uh, host homes. They will stay in homes. Now I know we are uh, very aware of the circumstances of our world right now. And so, we are taking a lot of precautions to ensure that you welcoming those students into your home is something that will be safe um, and uh, uh, not uh, harm to you. We will uh, be testing all of our college leaders. There will be hand sanitizers and sprays and all sorts of stuff happening to ensure the safety of everyone involved in this weekend. But we have just seen the Lord move so powerfully through this weekend. And so we're believing and praying that Jesus is going to allow us to have this uh, this weekend. And so if you'd be willing to serve as a host home, um, we would really appreciate that. And so you can come talk to Pastor Matt or myself after the service, and we can explain and kind of get together with you at some point to talk about what that involves. Uh, Then next Sunday at 5 o'clock, we'll gather for our very first evening prayer service of 2021, and I pray that we would all be able to come together and just unite our hearts in prayer. Again, if you haven't been a part of that, um, that's not a time of teaching, but it is simply prayer and worship. We just seek the Lord together, pray for one another, uh, pray for the needs of our community, um, and, and And worship Jesus in that time. And so I want to invite you all to be a part of that. And immediately following our evening prayer on the second Sunday of the month. Um, is our reengage ministry, and so uh, married couples. Uh, it's a tremendous ministry. If you haven't been a part of reengage, you want to know more about that. Laurel and I have been a part of that ministry, and so I'd love to just—I'll be down front. I can talk to you about that after the service. So, if, if nothing else, um, love you guys. Pray you have a very great week, and uh, I'll be down front if I can encourage you in any way. If you have any questions, um, we'd love to talk to you. God bless. Oh, Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.